Today on the Chalk Alive podcast, we have Kimba Langus, who has started a nonprofit organization called Free the Girls, and it's an amazing work for her that provides jobs for women rescued sex trafficking in developing countries. And Kimba, thank you for talking to us today about uh, taking the leap into something that I truly admire, which is starting a nonprofit. Well, thanks, Ingrid. It's great to be here today, and, and thanks so much for having me on. What's interesting about your story is, um, like most people probably that start nonprofits, you weren't always working or in the nonprofit sector. Tell me a little bit about uh, what you did before you started the nonprofit. Oh, sure thing. Uh, so for my first career, my first <laughs> life, um, I was a producer, writer, producer, director, and uh, worked in that for 20 years, doing everything from commercials to original programming content, a lot of corporate video production, marketing videos, trade show videos, training videos, that sort of thing. And so obviously you must have had something happen that started your next journey, but first... Uh, tell me a little bit about Free the Girls and what it what it does. Well, Free the Girls is a nonprofit organization, like you said, that provides job opportunities to women rescued from sex trafficking. And what we do is we help them set up micro enterprises. We help them start their own business, selling of all things um, used bras and new bras now in Uganda. Um, so what, what we do is we partner with existing safe houses and aftercare facilities, and um, work with them to identify women um, who need a job. I mean, most of the women who have been trafficked were trafficked at a young age, so um, eight to 10 years old. So they missed out on going to school. Many of them have health problems and they have families. So those are three major strikes against them and trying to find and keep a traditional job. So the selling of bras provides something that's flexible. They can do it in their own time while they're going to school, while they're healing and going through their you know, rehabilitation restoration process um, with the safe house or aftercare facility. And we've also found that just the collecting of bras is a really great way to introduce people to the topic of human trafficking. And it's a way to connect women in the U.S. and westernized countries uh, with trafficking survivors overseas. We work in, we have 21 women in um, our program in Mozambique, and we just launched pilot programs in three locations in Uganda and one in El Salvador. And how many people started the organization? Uh, there were two of us, and I would love to take credit for the idea, but I cannot do that. It was a friend of mine and my former teaching pastor, Dave Terpstra. He approached me in spring of 2010. And what was weird about that, and I, I, I might be jumping ahead a little bit on that whole, like, what happened, you know, kind of thing. But um, when I started 2010, I knew that I wanted to get out of production, and I can go into that a little bit more um, uh, when we talk a little bit more about my backstory, but um, I knew that by the end of 2010, I, I kind of wanted to leave production, and I knew that I needed something else, and I was really feeling called to and drawn to being, uh, you know, in service to other people. So Dave approached me with the idea that he had for free, the girls, he'd already named it. He already had the idea of about, about used bras. You know, they're a commodity, they're a luxury item, a status symbol in um, the developing countries where we work. So they command top dollar in the used clothing market. And, and I admit when he first approached me, it, it was as a video professional. So he said, Hey, I'm starting this thing. And will you make a video for me? I'm like, well, of course I will. What else do you need help with? I can write some marketing materials, some website copy, you know, whatever you need. And, um, 
the the more I dug into the topic of trafficking and the more I started educating myself and reading things, my heart was just broken by that. And um, I, I knew right away that I needed to do more. And, um, and so at, at that time, you know, we we're just launching and just registering and um, we agreed to be partners and to create and grow the nonprofit together. I mean, I think the main point of the conversation is taking that leap. I know that your heart was really touched by what he presented to you, but there has to be, uh, was there a defining moment or what actually made you take that leap and say, hey, I'm going to give up my lucrative, you were an Emmy Award winning producer. It wasn't, wasn't mm -hmm. like you, you know, were forced out of the business or couldn't get another job. What was it that that took you to make this giant leap into a nonprofit, starting a nonprofit with your pastor? Well, it, there were there were a few things. I mean, for me, there was not a big aha moment, but it was a lot of, um, it was just kind of a shift in my priorities and a shift in my world that really began with me becoming a mom. Um, Wyatt, my son, was three when Dave approached me, but the, the three years um, leading up to uh, uh, starting Free the Girls, I was still working as a freelance producer, and I just was getting so frustrated. So, so for me, it started with that wanting something different, wanting to be home with my son, and um, and then as I started reading the stories about the women who are enslaved in sex trafficking and and even labor trafficking and the horrific things that they've endured, I just um, really just felt so thankful for the opportunities that I had had as a female, a white female growing up in suburban America. I really had every opportunity that I could want. And I got a great college education. I'd had a successful career. And even as a freelancer, you know, I was making great money. You know, there wasn't any reason for me to leave that other than it wasn't satisfying me on a deeper level. And so I think as, as you get older, you just start reexamining your priorities and you're thinking, what, you know, where's that balance between what fills me up and what depletes me? And I was finding that producing just had burned me out. I was burned out on it. I had a great career. I loved my career. I loved the work I did. It was inspiring for many years, but it was beginning to deplete me. And so I was looking for something else that would fill me up. And when this came along, it, I just knew right away that that's what it was. And, and, and a huge draw for me was um, as a mom, uh, I, I knew that if Wyatt had been born in a different country under different circumstances, he could be vulnerable to traffickers. I could have been vulnerable to traffickers. So I just felt so, so thankful for everything that I had. And I, I felt a deep uh, responsibility to do what I can to create opportunities for other women around the world. So it's interesting to see, it's almost like you were led down the garden path. You were, you were looking, you knew you had to do something different. And this idea presented it, uh, presented itself to you. Uh, now I'm curious about the practicalities of it. Did you keep on with your other career for a while? Did you, did you go into this full speed ahead? And then how did you, how did you finance it? How did you set this up and in order to uh, take this on? Well, a couple of, this is an interesting part of the story. Um, it, the, when Dave first had the idea for Free the Girls, and when we first launched, we wanted to be a social enterprise, not a nonprofit. 
And, and so it's kind of this for-profit, not-for-profit hybrid where you create a business around a cause or a business that whose revenue will serve a cause. So we launched selling t-shirts that say free the girls, you know, a portion of the t-shirt proceeds would go to rescue efforts and to raise awareness. And then we would do this bra collection thing on the side. And, um, and Dave and I formed as an LLC. We were a partnership. We each put in um, some money of our own, you know, a few thousand dollars that we each, we each put in to get our website launched and photography of our product and all of that. And honestly, you know, I, I felt like, oh, this is great. This is something that I can do from home as a stay-at-home mom. It'll just be a few hours a week on my computer to kind of make sure the store is running. And every now and then I'll box up some bras, you know, or, or we thought, honestly, we thought that, you know, we would send a few hundred bras and suitcases, you know, a couple times a year to people going to visit Dave in Mozambique. Right, you know, and I, I have know. to stop because how much, yeah. how many are you actually sending? <laughs> we have collected over 200,000 bras and we've shipped about 175,000 bras in the last uh, two and a half, three years. So it definitely had a, had a mind of its own and it, and it was clear within less than a year, you know, we also thought that our first safe house that we partnered with, it would take a, Dave about a year on the ground to find that partner and to establish that relationship and trust. And it was, I think, just within a few months of him being in Mozambique. You know, he had moved his family there. They're working full time as missionaries. And um, yeah, it just, it definitely had a mind of its own. And it was very clear to us um, when we had collected over 20,000 bras, you know, just in the first six months that we were, we had connected somehow with women. And um, we decided, you know, right about, a little less than a year after launching that we would convert to a nonprofit. And so we did that in June of 2011 and then got our 501c3 a year later. That was quite a process. So, so to, to go, we were <laughs> to the challenge of uh, not only starting a business. I mean, I, I don't have a business degree. So for me to like be all of a sudden running an, an, an online business and I'm doing QuickBooks and I'm doing a Facebook page and blogging and running this website and doing website updates, you know, all of that was so new to me, but I love it because one of the things I loved about being a producer was each new client that came in had a different product or a different show or TV show, you know, right. there was always something new to learn about something else or someone else. And, and I've always thrived on that and enjoyed that. So, um, while it was exciting, it was also very humbling, you know, you're, <laughs> humbling you're, in what you're wearing many hats and as producers, we're used to wearing many hats, but it's, it's kind of a, a crazy, a crazy thing. It's exciting, but it's terrifying because after 20 years in the business as a producer, you know, I had my groove and I knew what I was doing. I was confident in my abilities. I was successful in my career. And so to start over in, just in something first as a business that I know nothing about running, I mean, I'd kind of run my own business as a freelancer, but a, that's a different animal. And then as a nonprofit, you know, I'm like, I don't know anything, but you know, I, I've always had a thirst for knowledge and, and wanted to learn as much as I can about, about things. So you just kind of dive in. And I think part of the beauty of it too, was since we approached starting a nonprofit from a little less traditional um, perspective and direction, you know, most people, they, they get a board of directors and they raise seed money and they apply for their 501c3, you know, all in the beginning, not retroactively like we did. <laughs> So, so we didn't have people around us telling us 
what we couldn't do. Wait, so we so were just like, let's do this. Okay, yeah. let's do this. And we figured we'll just learn it as we go and try. And, and it was really super fun and exciting. So you didn't, you didn't go out and buy like um, sm- small nonprofits for dummies or anything like that. You just, <laughs> well, how did you figure out how to do this? Well, uh, you know, um, it, fortunately, in, as far as applying for our 501c3, um, that application process, we, we had a member of our board who had been through that with another nonprofit. She's a CPA. And so, you know, she helped get us started. I went to a course that the IRS um, had put out there on, it was actually for, on filing your 990, but there was some information about the application process and, and um, what they look for in um, people staying compliant as a tax-exempt organization. So I felt it's good to know what what they want us to do, you know, down the, the line, product, what types right. of things they'll, they'll say no to as we're creating this and filing this paperwork. Um, and then, you know, we just kind of, um, uh, you know, looked at for examples online and we had a wonderful guy from our church who was a lawyer, a nonprofit lawyer. And, you know, we did the work and then he would just review that and, um, it worked out. <laughs> <laughs> so, what would you say are some some mistakes that you made that you would probably not do that way the next time? Oh goodness! Oh, and I, sh- I should say before I get into that, you know, there there were also mentors along the way. You know, some women that I've met who run nonprofits, like um, Kendis from Truckers Against Trafficking and Elisa Morgan from Mops. You know, so some really great women and men. You know, that Dave and I both knew, and you know, Dave Dave was the pastor of our church and ran the business side of the church, so he had experience in running a nonprofit already. You know, in many regards, so we weren't going at it totally blind. Um, I think the mistakes. Oh gosh, I I would say that. I don't know how much I would call them mistakes, but I do feel that there were more challenges in, in doing it backwards. You know, so everybody that I meet now, it, it's so funny too, because I'll occasionally get people saying, you know, oh my gosh, I want to start a nonprofit. Right. Can, you, can you be my mentor? I'm like, oh, <laughs> here's what not to do. <laughs> That's don't what I really meant. Is- like, like here's all the things you need to have in place before you start your articles of incorporation and and your bylaws and your board of directors and seed money and filing you know that five that 1023 application as as soon as you possibly can and and because there's so much that's required in that 1023 application um, that those things are required because those are the things that set you up to run your nonprofit effectively and and um, you know obviously to be compliant you know with your tax exempt status. So, um, yeah, I definitely would say preparation, 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 um, do it all up at, at the front. Don't put the cart before the horse. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard though, when you have the, uh, bras shipped and you, it, I mean, it just took on a life of its own is what it sounds like. It, it absolutely did. And, um, and we were, we were fortunate in that, uh, shortly after we converted to a nonprofit, we caught the attention of CNN. They have um, they had at the time, it was just a, a year-long initiative called the CNN Freedom Project, where they were um, committing resources to doing stories on fighting trafficking in modern-day slavery. And um, they somehow found us, I have no idea how, and, um, and, and came out and did a story. And they actually included some information about our need to ship the bras overseas, and we didn't have the financial resources to do that. 
And so um, their stories air on CNN International. They don't air domestically. And um, within less than 24 hours, there was a gentleman who works for a uh, shipping company in Chicago, and he had seen the story on us on CNN International when he was traveling in Hungary and reached out to us and said, I can ship those bras for you. Uh, oh. So, I mean, it was amazing. It was amazing. And then um, the story was going viral. At one point, it was on, you know, the front page of CNN US on their website. Um, it was just, it was totally crazy. And then we had all the bras here in Denver and the shipping guy is in Chicago. So we had that challenge. And, you know, I reached out to my friend at um, Truckers Against Trafficking. And within 24 hours, she had a trucker who was going to drive the bras to Chicago for us. So, I mean, it's just, you just never know um, how something will go viral. I mean, we're, we're so lucky to be in this, in this age where um, technology, um, although technology adds to the issue and makes it easier, you know, for traffickers, you know, it's, it's um, something we can use against them in the fight against human trafficking. And in our case, and getting these bras overseas to the women and raising awareness and, and um, CNN ultimately did a follow-up story that was a 30-minute documentary. So um, that exposure has just been a really great shot in the arm for a small grassroots organization. Yeah, I mean, you think about a lot of nonprofits that are maybe one or two people and they never seem to take off. It's almost as if you you were in the zeitgeist and you all these serendipitous things happened to just, it was meant to be. And I know that sounds a little bit, um, you know, out there maybe, but I think sometimes that's just the way it is. And then you have a lot of people that, um, that just work really hard at their nonprofits. They don't, they don't get um, maybe the kind of international or media attention that you did, but um, they have to grow much more slowly, which just brings me to my next point, which is I know that it's been a bit of a struggle to keep up with how fast this has grown. So mm -hmm. how do you, did you prepare? Did you have any idea? And how did you handle that quick growth? Um, it's, it's a challenge. It really is. You know, what we're finding, and, and this is common in the nonprofit world, is um, people are attracted to the sexy cause. And right now, trafficking is, is a sexy cause. It's, it's become popular, which is good and bad. Um, but they're, they're not as interested in funding the people who run the organizations. Um, so, you know, it's harder for us, you know, when applying for grants or getting support, you know, from the public, um, people are really quick to give us bras and that's wonderful. And that's the beauty of it. It's something simple. If you don't have money to donate, you can donate a used bra that's sitting in the back of your underwear drawer. But, um, you know, we, we have one employee and that's me and I get paid a part-time salary, you know, so we've, we received a grant this past year that goes just to our overseas, you know, expansion, um, into new locations. And, um, yeah, I'd say, I'd say the challenge is, you know, fortunately we have really, really great volunteers and because of how, of how um, our organization is done, they're able to volunteer for us virtually. So, um, you know, we have people who help answer emails and um, with our social media, and we have um, event concierges. So when people are having bra drives and fundraising events, they have a person, you know, who's their contact at Free the Girls that can help them publicize their event and get it on our website, that sort of thing, you know. But I, it is something that keeps me awake at night. You know, I have these really great high-capacity volunteers who are able to put in a lot of hours, but their, their situations could change any day, right. you know, so I'm trying right now, we're really trying to find, um, you know, 
partners and, and donors and foundations who will support our infrastructure. And, and because if I don't grow it on the personnel side, on the infrastructure side, we can't support that growth. So, you know, it's, it's kind of this, um, uh, it's a double-edged sword. The, the rapid growth has been great. You know, we, we laugh because after the first CNN stories aired, we were getting a lot of attention and people reaching out saying, hey, can you bring the program to my country? That sort of thing. You know, Dave and I had a conversation, and this was before we expanded the board. Um, hey, how, how fast do we want to grow? You know, what seems reasonable? And I'm like, well, given our current resources, we probably shouldn't add more than one new location per year. Okay, great. You know, and and here we are. We added four new locations this past year. <laughs> Again, nobody's telling us what we can't do. You right. know, it's like find a way. And um, you know, where where you had talked about the whole, it's meant to be, and and you know that whole kind of fortune smiling on us thing. You know, for for Dave and I, you know, he's he's a pastor, and and so you know the work that we do has been founded in our faith, and and we really do feel like there's a lot of divine intervention you know we we feel you know, like we've seen a lot of god working in the work that we do and uh we feel like that's that's where a lot of these you know seemingly coincidental you know opportunities and 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 things that have happened have come from absolutely well and you know it's funny because i think a lot of times people look at charities like yours and they'll see you on cnn they'll see you doing all these things and they think oh that's a well funded organization we you know they don't see that you're like one of those ducks with your little feet going 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 <laughs> under the water and you're gliding along you know i say that all the time be the duck be the duck that's right. <laughs> But yeah, that is double edge. You have to make sure people know that you still need funding. It's it's Absolutely. going beautifully, but it Absolutely. Well, that's the other thing too. You know, we had our our website. I love our website. I think it's beautiful, and it was completely donated and built pro bono by a, a friend of mine who works kind of as our IT supervisor now and and you know, web guru. But sometimes we're like, "Oh my gosh, he made the website too nice." Because <laughs> people really do assume we're bigger than we are or I'll have people be like, "Can I drop off these bras?" your headquarters or your offices and I'm like yeah my our international global headquarters is uh the kitchen counter and my laptop (laughs) and I don't ever see that changing you know I don't see us having big fancy offices we don't need them you know most of what we do can be done virtually and we have you know key volunteers in other states you know in Arizona and Indiana and Tennessee and obviously Dave is overseas you know but but we do need the people, you know, we need um, people who are paid a salary and, you know, uh, are able to, to work full time for us. And um, so, I mean, along those lines, what would you do you have advice for someone who wants to start a nonprofit who's had something nagging at their heart for a long time? I th- Well, I think my advice for anybody who even if they haven't had something nagging at their heart, free th- you know, trafficking was not on my radar. You know, it was something that just kind of, I say God just dropped an anvil on my head. <laughs> it was something that just was dropped in my lap and I didn't even realize I was passionate about that cause. You know, so so my first bit of advice would be to just be open to opportunities and to be open to that thing that might break your heart that you want to do something about. And I think what paralyzes people is that they feel they have to do something big or they feel they don't have something to contribute you know, um, and, and I always felt like, you know, prior to Free the Girls, I would just write a check. You know, you hear about something awful and you're like, oh, that's awful. And then you might hear about it again. You're like, oh, that's awful. 
somebody should do something about that. And then you hear about it a third, that's awful. Maybe I should do something about that. And for me, it always stopped with, I can write a check, you know, and, um, and Dave was the one who, you know, I said, Dave, can I write you a check? And he's like, you sure can. But if you do, I'm making you a partner. So it was kind of like, oh, I'm getting pulled out of my comfort zone now and I'm, I'm taking action. Um, you know, not every, fortunately for me, you know, um, when we first launched Free the Girls, I was still freelancing and financially, you know, I obviously wasn't getting um, a salary from Free the Girls. Um, that just came, you know, a few months ago. Um, I had to keep working as a freelance producer. So I had a three-year-old son. I was starting to, you know, I was trying to help start this organization and um, was working production jobs on the side. So the first year and a half to two years, that's what I was doing. And finally something had to give. And I just had to take that leap of faith that the producing had to give. You know, I had to hang on to free the girls. I just really felt like that's where I was supposed to be and what I'm supposed to be doing and where my passion and my heart was. Um, so I took that leap of faith. And honestly, shortly after I made that decision and stopped taking um, freelance jobs, my husband got a promotion and a raise at work. And we were, you know, we were able to buy a couple of rental properties and got a little bit of income from there. So I, it, does, it doesn't make up the gap, you know, in what I had, you know, from my previous career. But it, it definitely, I felt, sent the message that, yeah, you, you took the right leap and, and you did make the right decision. Um, and, you know, I don't, I'm not doing it for the money. I'm not doing free the girls to try to make the same kind of money I was making as a producer. That's not what it's about. The, the, the reward there is so much greater than a paycheck could ever provide. Right. I think it's, it's also interesting when you talk about, yes, you did keep working in your other job. I think a lot of people feel like when they take the leap, they have to so completely take it. And yes, that's okay. You can do it that way as well. But sometimes you can put training wheels on and put your toe in it and, and do it in what feels most comfortable to you. But the big thing is be open, be open, be open, and give yourself the opportunity to have that time to be able to do it. Well, and I think too, you know, Dave, Dave, I always requote Dave on this. It's one of my favorite things that he's said. And he probably, he, I think he stole it from somewhere else too. He's going to hear this and be like, (laughs) (laughs) but it says you, you can't do everything, but you can do something. So what is the something that you can do? So when I speak to women's groups, you know, mops groups, these are, you know, stay at home moms with young children are thinking, oh my gosh, I can't do this. Or people who have a full-time job and they don't have that spare time. You know, I, I, I do think there's a misconception that you have to do something big. I always thought, you know, well, I can't pack up my family and move overseas and work for the Peace Corps and be a missionary. That's like not my thing. That's not a reality for me. But, you know, there were skills that I have from being a producer that translate into running a nonprofit, you know, and, and nonprofits need all sorts of help. You know, we need, you know, maybe you have a printing company or maybe you have some graphic design, maybe you're a lawyer or um, an accountant, or maybe you just, you're great at admin. You know, there, there's so many, you're great at writing. You can handwrite thank you notes for us because you have wonderful penmanship. So, so even the littlest thing, you know, don't try to do something that you don't always enjoy doing or, or that's not a skill. So what, what types of skills or what types of interests do you have? Maybe there's a creative outlet that you don't currently have at home or in your job, but there could be a nonprofit out there, and I'd probably guarantee you there's a nonprofit out there that could use that skill, and um, you could help them that way. Yeah, it's amazing. I think people get really caught up in their own lives or just trying to get through their work a day, and they 
oftentimes, even if you just stick your toe out a little bit into the water and volunteer somewhere, it'll open up a completely new world to you of what is possible in your life. I've seen this happen many, mm -hmm. many times. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you coming from an overwhelming job, which is what producing is, it's a, yeah. it's a absolutely, you know, energy sucking job, which is very rewarding as well, but certainly takes a lot of mental, physical and everything else. So, I mean, if you can do it and with a baby, I think it gives us all the <laughs> idea that we can all do at it's least funny, look, something. When I look back on that now, I'm like, how did I do that? <laughs> but, you know, there's, oh, gosh, you know, there, there's there's many people who, who do much more than that on a daily basis. So I, I, have, I have no complaints. So, uh, yeah, you can't, well, I think one of the things is, too, you can't think about everything down the line that's going to have to happen or might happen. You right. just have to start just start. Yep. At least. Well, and I think too, for me, one of the, one of the struggles that I had, you know, it, it's, there's an, there's an ego thing there, you know, when you're, when you're coming from being like really good at your job and doing, you know, having success to, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing, you know, and I would look at these other organizations that were so successful and they had these, you know, multi-million dollar operating budgets and these other executive directors who are just so savvy and this, you know, and, and it, it, I fell into that trap of, uh, what did they say? Like, you, it, um, we're robbed of our joy when we compare our behind the scenes to somebody else's highlight reel. <laughs> and, and that like really struck me. It's like, well, I'm only seeing the best of them. You know, I'm not seeing the, the duck feet below the surface of the water. And the more I started attend, you know, I got involved with the Colorado Nonprofit Association and, and went to, I, I remember one of the breakout sessions that I went to at their conference was for executive directors and the many hats and the many roles. And, and there were so many women in the room who were just like me, who kind of fell into this and, and you know, were just making the best of, of what they could. They, there's very few um, people running nonprofits who have been trained to run nonprofits. I think a lot of times, like you said, we're sort of waiting for the expert to show up or the person who's going to tell us what we need to do. That, that, as long as I've been alive, has never happened to me. Anytime I wanted to take a new leap, I simply had to do it. I may, had, I may have had mentors, or I could look at other people that had done it, but it's still you just deciding that you are a nonprofit executive director, you are a producer, whatever it is you want to do. It's just doing it, basically. It's so it's so funny that you bring that up, Ingrid, because um, uh, two summers ago, so I guess it, yeah, it was 2012. I, I was at an event, and and that was after the first round of CNN, not the second round of CNN. And I was, you know, being really insecure, and you know, just tell people, well, I'm just kind of I'm the executive director because somebody had to be, you know, <laughs> and so just kind of you know that whole like, humble. like my caveat, like okay, in case I sound like I don't know what the hell I'm doing, this right. is why. Um, and and so I would say, yeah, if we you know, once we start getting some our five hundred one c three, and we start getting some money in, then you know we can hire a real executive director. And this woman was so great. She said, "Kimba, how long have you been doing this?" And I said, two years." She's like, "You are a real executive director. You are an experienced executive director. You've been doing it for two years." And I was like, "Oh, wait a minute." <laughs> so so that started a journey of accepting my role and having a little bit more confidence in myself and that, and and realizing I don't have to be the best. You know, and what is the best anyway? Right. You know, I just that doesn't exist anyway. Yeah, there some, is no the best. Sometimes your qualification is that you're available. So, you know. 
<laughs> well, you know what? I can't think of a better note to end on than that. Thank you so much, Kimba. And make sure you check out freethegirls.org. Everyone out there, thank you for listening. Thank you.